You're listening to This Is How, a podcast about people forging digital careers for people who are taking the time to figure things out. Whether you've just left school, college or uni, or you're already in a job, but you're not really feeling it, we've made a podcast series for the tips, ideas and free advice from people who have been on similar journeys, changed things up and gone on to work in digital roles with some of the most interesting brands in the UK. I'm Will Stowe, proudly from Hackney, an air and shoulder to those around me. I work for Sneakers as a co-host on Sneakers Live. We have regular live streams to talk all things sneaker culture. I also write poetry, make music and throw parties in my spare time. I'm Zoe Mallet. I'm a life coach and radio show host. My coaching focuses on helping people figure out where they are, where they want to be, and then we work out how we're going to get them there. I also have a radio show on Foundation FM, which allows listeners to message in with all their problems. And my guests and I offer our professional advice and tips live on a mix with some bangers. We're back again. We're on episode seven now. Episode seven? Yeah. Cool. We're joined by Amrita Barridge. And I'm also here with Zoe Mallet. Pick up yourself, Zoe Mallet. Cool. It feels like we haven't done this in a long time. Um, I've got to apologise. It does feel like a while. Touring the world. But now I'm back. So you guys, you know, I'm sorry. But yeah, <laughs> we're here with an amazing person, Amrita. Uh, she's a UI UX designer at Rockstar Games. Um, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks very much for having me. It's really nice that you invited me along. It's great to meet you guys. Looking forward to it. And we always kick off with uh, playing a game called True Truths and a Lie because we feel like it just really helps us get to know uh, our guest. So you've prepared Two Truths and a Lie for us and then you're going to read them out and we're going to try and guess what the lie is. Cool. Zoe's very good at, you know, um, finding the truth. I feel like I'm okay at finding the lies. So, Well, let's see how good I am at lying. <laughs> uh, just a disclaimer, I may or may not have seen Amrita's Two Truths and a Lie earlier by accident. Did you know which one was a lie though? No, 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 no I saw it, but like it just was a quick like kind of glimpse. So okay, maybe like my brain processed it really quickly and it might come back up, but who knows, it's a mystery. So Will might cheat. Uh, it's not a cheat. I didn't see it on purpose. But, but did he see it though? Is that truth or a lie? Yeah. That's another game that we can play. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So one of them is that I used to be a singer in a country western band. Um, another one is that I met Ghostface Killer in Glasgow and managed to squeeze a cuddle out of him. <laughs> another one is that I slipped a disc in my jaw while eating the Godfather burger at KFC one time. Oh, that sounds like a Zoe situation. That's, that's <laughs> like that happened to Zoe 100%. <laughs> that does actually. That like <laughs> They're really good ones. Are they? Yeah. Did you say you slipped a disc in your jaw? Eating a, a KFC... The Godfather Burger. What's in a Godfather Burger? Um, it's like, you know, fried chicken. There's like a hash brown in there. You know, there's quite a lot of stuff going on. It's, it's quite a tall one. I feel like that it, that could potentially happen. Yeah. Are there discs in your jaw? I don't know. Like, it's been a long time since. Wait, so. yeah. I'm like, that could definitely happen. I'm like, <laughs> I have no idea. It just sounds legit. It does sound yeah, legit. it does. Because like, if you get hit in the face, your yeah. jaw can like oh, yeah, come yeah, out of place. Yeah. Like your spine cancer. Yeah um okay science class here today and so and so you were potentially in a country and western band a singer yeah a singer okay but not just country western like you know proper outlaw country you know like renegades okay can you give us a little a little line a little one or two you haven't rehearsed this this, this was this was in my 20s you know i wouldn't want to you know broadcast a, a little line without without rehearsing you know 
on the Ghostface Killer one, was that a concert? Was he supporting someone else and came out? Something like that? No, it was it was a Ghostface Killer concert in the sub club in Glasgow. Okay. And it was one of those um gigs where it's not like a it's not like a concert hall or anything. Yeah. It's like a club. Small and intimate. Yeah, yeah. So it was quite busy in there. Glasgow can get pretty rough and, and there was, at one point um he 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 walked he was walking through and all these guys were like trying to steal his hat and stuff. Oh and, man! But I, I just, I just kind of like casually walked up to him and said, "Hey, you know, you go face killer." Right. Yeah, it's nice, nice to meet you. And he's like, "Hey," you know. <laughs> and he didn't say much because obviously people are trying to steal his hat yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. I said, "Can I, can I have a quick photograph with you and a little hug?" He's like, "Yeah." He's quite a tall guy, right? Yeah, he's pretty tall. Yeah. Well, everyone's tall compared to to myself, you know. <laughs> <As we, laughs> I feel like I feel like the I feel I think I know which one the lie is. I think um, that the country western isn't true. Yeah, same. Yeah, I think the country western yeah. isn't true. Why do you think that? Because I feel like the stories with the other two were quite like, you knew what you were talking about, but then when we asked you to sing, you were like, nah, not today. Yeah. Haven't rehearsed. You just happened to not rehearse today. Sure. <laughs> so can you tell us which one the lie is? That is actually a lie, yeah. <laughs> oh, I was going to high five. Sorry, oh. it's a, it's a awkward, it's a bit awkward. <laughs> awkward moment there. Awkward moment. That's cool. So at least we found out that I can't actually lie. So you know that I'm genuine. Yeah, it's true. This is true. It's true. It's true. Which is good for um, us interviewing you today. Okay, cool. Let's jump into it. So can you tell us about the relationship you had with gaming growing up? Um, first of all, video games have always been important to my family. Um, started out with uh, PC games in 1993. <laughs> Um, I just just remember my my dad, um, you know, had a, a massive PC on the, on the dining table one day, and we just saw this big beige box on top of another beige box, and we thought, well, you know, what is this thing? And he said that we're going to be using that to to do our homework and stuff going forward. But it turns out that you know, my dad and brother used to play flight simulators instead of doing homework, and we used to get these educational um, CD ROM games about learning spelling and all that, and it was a really good fun way to learn. Um, and then, um, yeah, we, my, my brother and I used to play, um, a bunch of games over the years. Um, we used to sort of, you know, get a console and then they were so expensive back then that we'd have to kind of sell one to get the next one. And so, um, yeah, we had like, uh, um, the Sega Game Gear. Then we moved to the Master System, Sega Mega Drive, then the Sega Saturn, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and, um, the, um, the main, the main thing that I like to talk about with my relationship with gaming is, that there's a, there's a personal reason that's really close to my heart. And that's because my brother, who I mentioned, um, Sean, um, he, he sadly had a really, really, um, you know, he had an illness called muscular dystrophy, which led to, um, him having, um, physical limitations. So video games enabled him to experience things virtually that, um, you know, things that he couldn't do anymore, like, you know, play football, basketball, um, skateboarding, you know, all the um, extreme sports and even things that, that we do on a daily basis and take for granted, like walking around and um, yeah. driving a car and things like that. So um, we saw how video games completely opened up a whole new world for him and he was able to just have so much fun. Um, we used to have our friends over, eat snacks, listen to rap music and play video games. And it's just really nice. We could all do things together. Like he didn't feel like he couldn't, you know, get involved. Um, so it was, it was great. And um one of his favorite games was Grand Theft Auto 3, and it's really emotional this year because this year would have been Sean's 40th birthday, and um, that also ties in with the 20th um, anniversary of GTA 3. So, like, unlike reading or, 
or films or whatever, I found like in terms of entertainment, like video games are something that I could just get completely, totally immersed in. Mm. Like, you know, like the, the sound effects and like the, you know, the music score and everything, you 100%. know. Yeah, just like totally immersed in it. So that's sick. Would you say, would you say that your dad was like the, the tech influencer of the house then, basically? I guess so, yeah. <laughs> Because, yeah, because, yeah, he, he brought us the PC and uh, we used to play Prince of Persia on, like, on a floppy disk, you know, wow. the MS-DOS games. Prince that? of Persia. Do you remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, wow. <laughs> and even that, you know, if you think about how simple those types of games were, like those um, side-scrolling platformers with, like, you know, limited color and, like, you know, um, limited sound and all that, but they're still really powerful and yeah. addictive and they make you they make you feel like real heightened emotions of like i need to i need to win this or i need to avoid this trap or you know did you did you know pretty early on then that like this was going to like be your thing um well kind of i mean i when i was growing up i always wanted to do you mean like for an actual career mm. well i always wanted to do something to do with graphic design or music or something arty but i also um wanted to do something that will help people but i didn't know what you know because when you're when you're young you have to choose your subjects quite early on and you have to yeah. make these sort of decisions so i used to go through these things like i want to be a physiotherapist or i want to do um be an occupational therapist or i want to help people but like i just fat naturally fell into like the arty type stuff and then it wasn't till um at university when I was when I happened to be in Dundee and that's like a that's kind of like the birthplace for the Scottish games industry so it, being at the right place at the right time really helped and because of um because of what my brother went through and how video games really like transformed his his life you know it made sense to me when I was at uni that I want to do video games because that involves combining my passion for um art and um and my passion for helping people and it's really you know really close to my heart yeah um so what were you doing then kind of after school before you kind of got to to uni after school um well actually when I was at school I think I was just planning on starting like uni was the next step yeah do you know to me like I never I never considered anything else because I had like aspirational friends and encouraging parents and stuff so just uni was was the thing to do so I um I started doing a digital media course um, in Aberdeen and then that wasn't quite um I wasn't quite 100% happy doing that course it wasn't there was something missing I didn't feel like I was uh, really enjoying that so I actually made the switch to um, Abertay University in Dundee and um ab at the time um Abertay had like there was adverts on TV about like Abertay combining combining science with arts and you know captivating yeah yeah <laughs> all these all these cool adverts about um you know and it was famous for having like the first ever games course in like 1997 or something, you know, that's what, um, so I switched to, um, an art course, computer arts, which sounds quite dated now. Um, but, and, um, then that was much better than the first course I was doing because it was about, you know, about learning about, you know, um, creating interactive media and things. Um, and there was a lot of influence. It wasn't actually a games course by any means, but there was a lot of, it was like a gaming environment because the, the um, down the hall in the next studio was was the actual computer games course, which was called Computer Games Technology. I, I didn't do that one, but so you were, you were amongst you know um, those sorts of people who were who were doing that, and there were lots of games companies in Dundee as well. So in terms of like, obviously you love games and you have a foundation in it that's really emotion um, from an emotional place. Mm -hmm. um, so you have, you know what you like in it and then you went off to university to study it, but you would have noticed that some things you were good at to allow you to kind of get to that place. And what were some of those early things that you noticed that you were good at? 
Um, so I'd say that I was good at um, researching um, to make sure you know what you're doing. Um, so, for example, if you're interested in a, in a subject, um, I was quite quite thorough with trying to find out as much as I can about various subjects. Mm. Um, but back then, it wasn't as easy because we didn't have like you know the whole internet on your phone. But yeah. so you'd have to go to the libraries and stuff. <laughs> You know, you have to go to the go to libraries and like. That um, sounds like such a crazy thing now. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you go to the libraries to research, but I know it's, it's totally normal. Yeah, because because now obviously, like, you can get so many free courses, and yeah. you can if you've got twenty minutes on a train journey, you can actually like learn a lot, and then you can apply that like the next day. Mm. But back then, it was um, you know making sure that you're able to um, get, you know contact the right people and um, get the right books and stuff and find documentaries but even then you know there's no kind of youtube or anything so of course as opposed to like now like you said 20 minutes on the train how long would it have taken then was it like days months weeks yeah it take a long time because you got like read stuff and digest it and mm. bookmark it and photocopy it or whatever and when you say research like what types of research are you doing just for like whatever project you're doing so for example um, because that was a sort of like a, a media course, um, learning about software and um, C- make, creating CD-ROMs and things like that. So making sure, like researching, like um, I was doing a, a project on animated advertising and I went on eBay to, to purchase a DVD collection of adverts from the 80s, like, you know, early animated mm-hmm. adverts and things like that, just to make sure I had an, an understanding of um, the history of, of all of of the adverts, you know, and um, and how the, and and in time how they developed, and you know how technology influenced, and how they went from stop motion to um, drawings to three D, you know that sort of thing. You know the old Toshiba adverts, and going the extra mile to to get that, yeah, that yeah, source yeah. of yeah. of adverts, as well as um, I mean the internet did exist. I'm not it wasn't that old, so I you know I did obviously go on YouTube as well and. Um, purchased books on, on creative advertising and things like that you know do, just, do you still do that now to kind of keep yourself refined and like yeah absolutely um to be honest um i find that um you can get like you can find yourself getting out of date really easily so you you just have to just um keep up to date with all sorts of stuff like new technology new software new ways of thinking and speaking to to people who are from other designers who not who don't necessarily um work in the games industry but you see how they apply their processes and um yeah i mean i i after a while um after being in the industry for a while you know when you interview people to for new roles and things like that sometimes at some point i thought wow you know these people are younger and got a whole different sort of qualification uh, you know, like, like for example, like I did a, a an art media course years ago, but they they've they've got um courses in like HCI, human computer interaction, and all sorts of newer newer things. So I actually went away and um and did a course after being in the industry for ten years. I I, I did a course um, spe- specifically for um UX design. You know, that's really refreshing to hear. Like, really refreshing to hear. And um, you actually learn a lot from people you work with as well. And particularly from, um, you you can learn from um, people in junior roles because they bring so much to the team. And sometimes a a person in a junior role may feel like, oh no, I'm I'm I'm, I'm new here or I'm the less experienced here. But we, we learn so much from them. 
and they're really valuable assets to the team. And apart from like the the obvious kind of um, uh, platforms that you mentioned, like YouTube, for example, where else can kind of like young people trying to get into role a role like yours? Where can they be doing their research, and what can they be researching? I don't want to recommend specific courses because there's so many different types for different types of roles. But for example, I, I, I'm a UI UX designer. Um, and if if people are interested in doing that, if, if they're not at university and, and they're looking to get into university degrees, it's not necessarily um, a course you could get a degree in, um, but you can do um, s- specialized courses for it. And um, there are specific design schools um, I mean, the, the course that I did was from the um, NNG Nielsen Norman group, but that was um, not, I'm not recommending that everybody does that, but that, that's the one I chose to do because I, I've read various books from the guys who, who you know, found that, that organization, um, Donald Norman and Jacob Nielsen. Um, they're kind of like, you know, pioneers in the design world, professors. So that's why I chose that course specifically. But there are so many um, other ones online um, that people can search for. I won't recommend specific ones because, you know, I don't want to be held to account for, for that. But the one that I did was the Nielsen Norman group one. And um, as well as applying for courses and reading literature, another great way of um, getting into design is by doing hackathons and um, in, or in the video games industry, game jams. or um, And those, those are usually hosted by um, some video games companies do those and advertise them or um you know you can get involved with like meetup groups so i used to go to ux meetup groups in london and they were really cool because they were less formal than 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 a course Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and sometimes they were just evenings so um there'd be a, a ux meetup at a certain venue hosted or sponsored by a company in london and there'd be um, pizza and beer, maybe. So is that networking? Yeah, yeah, networking and meetups. And then there'd be um, um, talks from various people from various companies. And it was really cool. You, you learn so much for like from a, a half an hour talk. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you can network with them and give you business cards. And um, it's a great way for people who are getting in the industry to um, to get exposure and just meet people and, and learn from those, those um, networking events. You mentioned something about, is it a hackathon or hackathon? Oh, yeah, yeah. What's that? That's kind of like when people um, get together, in, in, sometimes in teams, and they create a product, and it can be from, um, they can be um, sketching out designs and working as a team, and um, or they could and they could be um, executing that, depending on who's organized it and what facilities they've got. But they're, they're great. And you can even do that with your friends or on your own. Um, I find that um, as a designer, or, or as a person, you have to be a designer. Um, every day, there's something that that frustrates you, and you think, oh, "I wish that somebody would improve this." Mm-hmm. For example, um, the best example is like when you're doing an online form and you spend ages filling it out, all the text fields, drop down menus, and all that, submit it, and then it comes back with an error, but it doesn't tell you where the error that's is. That's really annoying, by the way. I know, yeah. yeah. That is so annoying, <laughs> and that's a bad user experience design because there's no positive, well, not positive, but there's no. There's no feedback to tell you which bit you need to change, or you know, maybe they could, maybe it could have, um, maybe the form could have told you that feed that that before you submit it that this is not not right, or there's a character missing or something. So another thing to do is sometimes you can you can take something and and you can you can um, you can sort of design your own solution or you know start working towards um, how you would improve that feature and 
you can practice doing that on at home. Um, but there's lots of free software around mm. as well to help you um, present it. And that's a great way to learn just to get, get stuck into it. You've been listening to This Is How, created by Nominate and Liberty, your essential resource for finding a path into digital careers with the brands you love. Head over to thisishow.uk to listen to more episodes and discover free training and advice to help you land your dream job. And also give us a follow on Instagram at thisishow.uk to keep up to date with the regular tips and resources to help you on your career journey. Uh, Okay, so we've spoken about um, your kind of journey from like school into university uh, and then let's talk about post-university. So uh, can you tell us about that whole period from like finishing uni and then trying to find a job? I mentioned before briefly that um, being in Dundee really helped because um, I'm from Aberdeen and, um, you know, Dundee happened to be uh, really happening in terms of video games. So it was the right place. Uh, So there was a great university, great city, you know, a bit of luck on your side when you've got all that going on, you know. So there was opportunities around. um, And just before I graduated, like during during uni, um, I applied for quite a lot of of those opportunities. Um, I was quite shy and whatever else, um, you know. Um, but I still wanted to try. And for example, um, I applied for this um, scholarship at Scottish Television. That was um, an opportunity through Aberdeen University. And I honestly, I didn't think I'd get it, but I made a lot of effort into the um, submission. The submission was actually on VHS. You had to put your portfolio on VHS. Wow. Oh, wow. And um, this wasn't that, even it's like 2005 or something, but it was, it's, it's weird how it was a VHS. It was weird how it was a VHS. You had to kind of like get some facility. You had, you had to speak to the guys at the uni to kind of like help you um, even get, get hold of the equipment to do that. And um, so I actually managed to get that scholarship and I was shocked that I got it. And um, I, I actually found out after that only a handful of people applied. So it just just goes to show that you really have to you you might as well try otherwise mm. if I was I was too scared to apply and if I hadn't you know the opportunity would have just gone but um only a few people applied so that there's a high probability of getting it you know so it just goes to show that people even if you're a little bit unsure but you really want something just go for it anyway because it could be a bit of luck there um so I did that scholarship for um all summer and that was like you know doing some t- um news graphics and some um, adverts and stuff, which was really cool. And, um, and having that on my CV and having a portfolio from that really helped as well. And also while I was at Aberté, um, um, a couple of friends on the course and I applied for a games competition. At the time it was called Dare to be Digital, but they're still doing it. I think it's called Dare Academy now. And that's really hard to get into. Um, but we, we, while we were busy doing our final projects, we were trying to get into that as well submitted our game idea and stuff and um that was that games course was for 10 weeks and it was about building a demo a playable demo and um you got paid for it as well i think um i can't remember now um and that was a really good opportunity um because it was a great segue between university and the working environment you know like really under pressure like really really hard um learning new software and learning how to work with a team and you know learning which bits in the in the in the process that that you do and you pass it on to to your team members and um that that was a real good eye opener and at the end of that we didn't win by the way but um we You're winning got, now though <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> we didn't win at all but um 
we exhibited our game and there was some exposure with, um, you know, scouts for graduate positions and stuff. So that really helped. So getting involved in these sorts of courses and games competitions are great. And then from that, um, I got uh, an internship at BBC Scotland for a couple of months, which was really awesome. I was working in the interactive department, so they're um, web games, basically. And then I got my first um my first job that wasn't a scholarship or a internship, which was at um, EA. Um, so I got in as a graduate. Um, and then, yeah, I was there for five years and, you know, um, worked my way up and my title changed. I went from doing sort of like, um, you know, the, the artwork side of things and then getting into interaction design and, you know, that sort of thing. You said that these courses helped to like um, kind of bridge or fill the gap between university and working. And I think maybe we've had this conversation before about how like, there's like this weird period between like college and university, then university and and um, working as well. And I feel like courses like this probably help to make things feel a bit more real, yeah. maybe. Because like you learn all these things and then like applying them, nobody shows you how to do it, obviously. I don't know if you like feel the same as well, though. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I think like it's really different as well, because I think w- when you're in uni, like you're still so- kind of being looked after yeah yeah and then also like you're being kind of like put into like a a job or like an internship or a placement and then all of a sudden like you're given like what feels like so much responsibility but this is what they were training you for basically (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. but it almost feels like i don't know that you're just kind of like because there's like um i guess as well because there's like a salary attached to it then and then like that you've got your responsibility just like grows and grows I feel like they, like it does feel, you can, I don't know, it can be quite overwhelming, right? Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, courses like that sound like they're absolutely amazing and great to kind of just get you on the right path. It's really good. Yeah, especially with teamwork as well, because when you're at uni or when you're doing a course, I, I don't know what it's like these days, but you're usually doing your own stuff, aren't you? <coughs> I don't know what, whether there's a lot of group work involved, but um, yeah, te- teamwork is uh, um, really important in the video games industry because there's multiple teams of you know different areas and you all, all all need to talk to each other and work well um okay so can you tell us what a ui ux designer is a ui ux designer's job is to create user-friendly experiences that are tailored to target audiences specific audiences and their needs um so ui and ux are usually separate roles but they can be combined as one role depends on the company you work or if you're an indiv- individual um so um, UX stands for user experience, and it's about a user-first way of designing. It's all about users' overall experience with the service. For example, how easy it is to complete a certain task, how the user felt while they were performing that action, and is that experience smooth? Does the user receive helpful feedback to guide them along? And uh, UI stands for user interface, and focuses on how the product looks and functions. It's a combination of graphic design, information architecture, motion design, psychology of design, and usability. There's so much to consider um, from a technical point of view as well, with like screen resolutions, aspect ratios, multiple devices, catering for localization, uh, different outputs. So it's quite technical. And what does a UI UX designer do in relation to computer games? So a UI UX designer in a games project is super busy. Um, there can be a lot of design challenges as video games tend to, uh, depending what type of game it is, um, video games tend to offer um, lots of services within the one game. For example, there could be like an in-game store or multiple stores. There could be 
um, interactions, like multiplayer interactions with other players, um, different sorts of menus or different interactions as part of the story. So a lot of different experiences to design within one product. Whereas, for example, if you're a UI UX designer in another industry, your job might be all about one particular banking app or one store. Whereas in video games, there's lots of Multiple. lots of things to, to do. But even if you are a UX designer in, for, for, you know, for like a shopping app or something, that's still like really, really deep and involved in the big process. So I wasn't trying to trying to knock that. <laughs> you know what I mean? No disrespect, guys. No disrespect. And then, what do you what what does a UX designer, UI UX designer, do all day? What's your most of your day spent doing? Cool. So, um, yeah, you meet lots lots of challenges each day, and um, pretty much every day brings something new. Um, there'll be certain things that are consistent, such as touching base with your peers and your team, um, keeping documentation up to date. And then there are different types of tasks that are carried out at different stages in the project, such as creating interactive prototypes, uh, wireframing, setting up user tests. Because um, I mentioned earlier, it's very much um, user-centered. So understanding about what the users, like who the target audience is, and what sort of patterns and behaviors they have when they're interacting with your product and what works for them, what they want to see, you know. Um, so basically um, setting up user tests to see how um, users get on with your designs and then going back and iterating on that as well to kind of get the feedback from the the players or the users. And then um, collaborating with multiple teams really to get to implement it. And who are those teams that you collaborate with? So every company is different, but in general, there are similarities that I can mention. So depending on the company size, there can be many departments um, who all talk to each other. So um, UI and UX designers often work closely with um, games designers, uh, project coordinators, engineers. You have to be best friends with the engineers, like yeah. with, the, with the games developers. Take because, note, take <laughs> note. Yeah, <laughs> got to be best friends. Um, and then you work um, closely with um, the quality assurance quality assurance or QA department as well. And um, you also have contact with like writers, artists. There's a lot of asset creation involved. Like copywriters? Um, yeah, or, or depending on what game you're working on. It could be, or UX writers. I've got you. Yeah, and there's, um, because you're designing, you're designing experiences, that can involve working with the audio team to see, you know, how that's, how the sound can influence what you're doing and, and how the sound can influence feedback. Um, work with motion designers. Sure. So the teams can get quite big. Compared to when video games were first came about, when it used to be one or two people coding the whole thing. If you could take us through, like, just a traditional process in which, like, you know, uh, work, so to speak, comes to life. So, like, you know, who it starts with, who's in the middle, and how it kind of ends, or just like the kind of cycle of just working. Yeah, sure. So, um, um, as you can probably guess, um, video games take a you know, depending on what the game is or um, what studio it is, what company it is, they can take um, quite a long time um, to get from concept to completion because there's a lot involved. And um, depending on the feature, I, mean, I, can, I, just, I can just speak in general terms. If a new feature has come in, um, that can come in from the games designers and that could be um, any sort of um, feature or, or full game. And, and, and the games designers will probably... Um, generate a document um which has th their idea and um 
that will come to the the UI team and we'll we'll, we'll process that process that and um, figure out the best way to to start our um, UI UX processes on it. And um, in the meantime, you know, as part of the overall game picture, there could be um, the same document going over to the animation team, and they'll be they'll start to do what they do, and um, you know, to multiple teams. Like, um, you know, if a feature might might require um, some new new tech, the guys might need to write something new in their code. So that that'll be happening in, on their side, um, and um, you know, it's a very iterative process. Uh, in every games, every games company, there's always iterations. So you know, you might get, um, you know, like sort of very basic sort of first pass, and then iterate and get a second pass, and then you start to get more of the um, polish and post production. You might get some more of the uh, um, more graphic design coming in, and the, I, I'd say like you know the audio um, audio team that you know, people tend to see the audio coming in a bit later on. Bit more of the post production, uh, but there's um, depending on the studio and the company, there could be writing teams as well, and um, that'll be um, and that'll be at the initial stages, and they'll probably feed through um, through the whole game cycle. I have like three questions. Just one's enough. Come on, <laughs> don't, be, don't be greedy. <laughs> so one of them is: uh, Do you need to be able to draw as a UI UX designer? Do you need to be able to code, and do you necessarily need to like play games? Okay, that's really good questions. Um, so, <laughs> the first question: Do you need to be able to draw to be a UX designer? No, you don't need to be able to draw. You need to be able to. Um, you need to be able to um, get your ideas across in a way that people can understand. And a lot of people tend, a lot of designers tend to start with pen and paper and. Mm you know, just kind of like, just go for it before they refine it and then bring it to some software. Um, and there's multiple software, like loads to choose from. And they're all, um, they're all fairly, fairly similar these days, actually, with what they offer. Um, but no, you don't have to have drawing skills, essentially, to um, to be a UI UX designer. Um, uh but if you're doing more of the UI, then, you know, there's a lot of graphic design involved with that. Some companies have um, a separate sort of um, visual team and the UI designer would do more of the technical side of things like designing the interactions and um, different states for things. But it, it all depends on who you work for or if, or if you work as an individual. Um, what was your second question again? Co coding part. Oh, yeah. You don't have to be able to, to code to be a designer, but... Um, in some studios, if you know, like, so you get startup studios when um, when some people's roles tend to um, they tend to um, do multiple roles because they're in a small studio and they need to be able to have multiple skill sets. So I think if you you know if you want to be able to code to kind of bring your ideas to life and make them rather than just a prototype, actually make you know code it up. Then yeah, there's no stopping you. Mm, not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Sure. And then the last one was. Um... Do you need to be playing games actively? Oh yeah, hundred percent. It's like that's the fun part. Yeah, it's like you can't. Yeah, like you have to know your craft and you know know examples of how it works well and uh, and and examples in other games and yeah, you just have to you have to know what you're doing really. Okay, so can you tell us some of the biggest surprises you've had uh, working in gaming? Yeah, sure. Um, I think the best way to answer that is um, 
like my what I was expecting before I um, was part of the industry and the surprises. So I think that um, the main one is like the awesome collection of quirky people that you work with um, in the video games industry. It's just unusually amazing. Like there's such nice people and they've got such um, individuality. And that really, that, that, that really took me by surprise when I entered the industry. I was like, I wasn't scared of like going to work, you know, it's nothing like, you know, being suited and booted and, and having to, you know, perform in a, in a certain way, just be yourself. And, um, everyone's got, I don't know how to describe it. Everyone's got all these, um, weird and wonderful interests and, um, you know, I mean, the industry, I think video games industry is kind of stereotyped as being ever so slightly nerdy, but it's not really nerdy. Like I mentioned earlier that the, um, the different departments, so there's graphic designers are cool. Musicians are cool. It's, it's, everyone's cool. You know, you'd love them. They've all got, all the graphic designers got trainer collections. <laughs> no way. Yeah. They're all, all wearing mad cool trainers, you know? <laughs> Would you say it's like a community then? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I love that. And how has the gaming industry changed then in the time that you've been in it? Okay, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it might sound like an obvious answer, but like there's been um, an increase in diversity um, since 2006 when I joined the industry. I just I just feel like um, there's been, um, you know, there's been a lot more in the way of um, different cultures and mm. more women in, in the industry and diversity in general it's just really uh, it's a different place now than it was 15 years ago is it quite um scary coming in as a woman into the tech into this side of tech like just kind of looking at it like coming into an office is it very male dominated kind of thing um i think in general i mean i, I unfortunately i'm not going to give any figures for the games industry because i'll probably get them wrong but um i think that the percentage is still quite low but you know we're doing things we're doing things to to kind of fill the gaps and like encourage more girls to get into technology and um me personally my experience i never i was never like afraid or i never felt kind of like you know i never felt it because i think it's because um i've always had a mix of friends and um i mentioned earlier i grew up with an older brother and all his friends mm. uh, at uni uh, at uni doing the um my course i mean there was only a handful of girls in my course with me and so you just get used to it but it was never daunting or anything and it's you know there's like a theme uh, across a lot of the episodes where people always talk about learning and doing research and i think that that seems to be like a big one for you as well like are you are you um are you are you um what's the word are you always reviewing how much you kind of learning along the way like and how often you're adapting to new things yeah that's a good question um i um yeah i think i haven't haven't necessarily like got a diary of it like haven't, i'm not logging it to that extent but there's definitely things that i come across like on a weekly basis that i think i need to learn about this mm. so and um, that that could help that could help me in my job on, on a daily basis if I if I learn about this, and it could be things it could be um, it could be software or it could be some design theory or it could be something as um, like people skills. You know, it, it, you might come to, in a situation where you need to learn how to um, I don't know. You might bump heads with somebody at work or something. You might yeah. need to kind of 
you know, all, all sorts of things like this. But I think that um, I also think that when you're working with people, um, you can often find um, gaps that you need to fill um, because you can see, you know, what what your what your team members are doing, mm-hmm. and and if you have a new recruit, for example. Um, they might bring a whole new, like fresh kind of um, vibe and with, mm. with completely new skill sets. And then at that point you review yourself and think, okay, great. I need to keep up with this. And yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You need to learn from these, these really cool people. I feel like that's why you've got to be like, if you can be super passionate about like what you're doing, because then you're always going to like, it's not going to be learning. You're just like interested in it. And you're like, I want to know how to do that rather than like, oh, I feel like I need to learn how to do that. That's absolutely right. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. You have, you know, if you're, if you, if you're passionate about, about what, about your, your career, then you'll just naturally just want to do that. Yeah. want to learn more. Yeah. yeah. I think it's always bang on to while you was talking about your research, it just sounded like a lot of passion, like you wanting to know more. Mm-hmm. So like, it's like if I'm researching the design behind the shoe and I find out that maybe someone who designed an Air Force One also designed the Jordan 2, I'm like, yeah, your mind's blown. It's yeah. like, he was across these two journeys that are like huge and sneaker history so it's like yeah you definitely have to have that passion uh to close um out every episode we always uh put our guest in a bit of like an interview situation where we ask you to go through uh, a mini cv um that you've created so uh can you tell us a career one of like your career highlights yeah sure i can um, it was hard to pick something to write, like just one career highlight. Love that. I love that. This is how it should be. <laughs> because you just have so much fun over the years. So I think um, I've picked um, giving a little back by getting involved with um, BAME in games and women in games. Now, um, I haven't done much for that yet, but I have, um, I do feel, um, I do feel like I want to get involved a bit more because when I was growing up back then, there wasn't much in the way of um, representation of yeah, no. my cultural background in the media. Mm-hmm. And um, there were there were some, some key figures that I looked up to. and But um, sometimes I feel like, you know, there needs to be more in the way of role models yeah. to help encourage, like what, what we spoke about earlier. Yeah. Um, so I do feel... Um, that, that's really important. So, um, so far I have done, um, just a couple of small things. Like I've, um, like I helped, um, do the, the graphic design for the BAME logo and things to help get that started for the, for the BAME community. And, um, I've been a part of a couple of, uh, you know, panels, um, just, just, just being a role model and then, um, and answer questions for people. And, and it actually makes a difference because once I was in a, I was in a talk, I was doing a talk in, um, Birmingham and at the end of it, uh, a lady came up to me and she said, I think it's great that, you know, cause she was also Indian and she said, it's great to see you in this position, a designer and games and my daughter can do it if you can do it. And it's just, Amazing. just changed just one or two people saying things. You just, you can just tell that it makes a difference to their overall perspective on things i think hired already you don't need to go through the rest of the cv what do you think (laughs) i think we're going to put you in the hall of fame of games um and what was your what was your best piece of work um so on my on my mini cv i put down um being part of the ui and ux team on red dead redemption 2 just Mm -hmm. because um all through like working in video games like obviously i loved every project i've ever worked on 
for various reasons. I just love, you know, all the challenges that you get. But um, in the back of my mind, I, I, um, I wanted to do something that I, I wanted to work on something that I really love. Mm-hmm. And um, um, I didn't even apply um, to, to Rockstar um, for years and years and years and years and years. And then I, I applied there after a while and, um, and then got to work on that game. And I just feel, I, to me, that feels like, you know, yeah. yeah, that feels like the one to be proud of. <laughs> and what was your, what would be like your dream project then? I wrote in my mini CV that a future dream project for me would be to combine everything I've learned and create products to help people with disabilities. And um, I'm going to back it up with a little quote from um, a, um, a talk by Bill Buxton when I was in a, a design conference in Toronto. And he said, you can do anything technologically now. There is almost nothing you can imagine that you ca- that cannot be done. Now that you can do anything, what should you do? So that really resonated with me. It's like a challenge as well. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And last question over to you, Will. Why should we hire you? So I wrote something real cheesy. Like, <laughs> I wasn't sure how serious to take it. So I just. It's, very ser- it's a very serious job. It's very serious. I mean, we've already told you you've got the job because you have. However. Um, so I bring the positivity mm. and I thrive as a part of a team and I embrace challenges. Good vibes, basically. Yeah, good vibes. I actually wrote that, then scored it out. Never, nah. If that's what you feel, say it. Say it of your chest. Good vibes. Okay, so like we said, you're hired. Hired. We're going to put you in the UI UX designer hall of fame as well. Brilliant, thanks. The first person on this is how to enter it as well. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Woo! You've been listening to This Is How, created by Nominate and Liberty. If you've enjoyed this conversation and you're feeling inspired to develop your own digital skills, head over to thisishow.uk, where you can find more information on all the helpful tips and advice shared on today's podcast, as well as trying our new This Is How quiz to uncover more about what you're good at and what job roles could be a good match for you.